This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode, as usual, are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Morfield, that's me. This is episode number 45 for February 2014. Our topic for this episode is the film Philomena, the 2013 film by director Stephen Frears. This episode is not a spoiler-free discussion. If you have not yet seen the film and do not want plot spoilers, now would be a good time to check out one of the other great podcasts on Film Geek Radio. So, Ken, what can you tell us about this film? Before I do some summary, I'll just repeat your spoiler warning, because this is one of those films that's really difficult to talk about without giving away the ending. So if you haven't seen the film, go see it first. Philomena is one of those inspired by a true story films based on a book by the protagonist, Martin Sixsmith. Martin is a journalist and I believe a press secretary. He's recently been fired from his job and is looking for a way to get back into journalism or publishing. He's thinking about writing a history book. And he hears a story at a party about Philomena, who is played by Judy Dench. She has had a child that was put up for adoption in the middle of the 20th century. She was forced to work at what's commonly called one of the Magdalene laundries in Ireland. In Ireland, her child was taken away, and she doesn't know what happened to him. She realizes that it would be his 50th birthday and decides to try to find the child again. She thinks that perhaps, or her daughter thinks, that perhaps Martin can use his journalism skills to help her where she has not been successful on her own. Uh, Martin agrees to go with her to place the the orphanage, uh, which is now, I believe, an abbey where the nuns still live. They get a lead that makes them think the child went to America, so they end up going to America to look for the child. They eventually find some information about the child, who the child was, that leads them back to Ireland. They, they find the child, but the child has died. And they find out that he, before he died, actually went back to Ireland looking for his mother. The nuns told her that they couldn't find him and him that they couldn't find her. And the end of the scene goes, back to Ireland with Philomena and Martin confronting the nuns about why they lied and Philomena finally being shown to the grave of her son where she's able to visit him. Uh, Overall, that is a a budding friendship between Martin and Philomena that has many metaphysical and religious conversations, particularly about the existence of God and Philomena's role as a Catholic, which Martin has some scorned for initially and eventually maybe does or maybe doesn't reconcile himself to. 
And so the end of the film entails Martin purchasing a Catholic knickknack or tchotchke to put on the grave for Philomena and with Philomena. And that seems to be a somewhat of a rapprochement between the two of them in terms of, of his crit- critique of her religion. Uh, it also deals with the different ways in which they confront the nun who had that information and withheld it for Philomena. She forgives the nun. Martin doesn't and expresses you know, indignation and hatred and contempt for them. And that leads to a momentary argument or falling out between Martin and Philomena where she says the reason she forgives is because she doesn't want to be like him. Uh, I full of hate and bitterness. On the one hand, the story is, I mean, it, it is inspiring. Um, it is, um, certainly, it, it, I, I found myself, you know, very engaged as they go through the investigation and, you know, it, both the, the friendship was interesting to me, um, and also then just, just the story of finding this child who had, you know, she'd been separated from for 46 years or something like that. Well, I guess one of the things we talked about in the pre-production was, you know, what makes this story, apart from the inspiring story, what makes a story like this worth telling? I think it's perhaps where our conversation started going. Right. There's a couple ways we can answer that. I think certainly the conventional one is the way to say that it's worth telling because it is inspiring and that we ought to be inspired by Philomena to go mm-hmm. do likewise. Very few of us may find ourselves in a position where we're called upon to make great emotional sacrifices of forgiveness to someone or at someone or some institution that has wronged us that deeply. Although we may be called upon in day to day life to forgive individual people and there may be some benefit in meditating on if Philomena can forgive this nun who has wounded her so deeply and mistreated her and abused her, then perhaps we can forgive people in our own lives. I think beyond that, um, because I'm speaking as one who found the investigatory aspect, mm-hmm. the mystery aspect of it, less interesting, a little bit more overblown. They, it's built up a little bit, but they basically go to Washington, make a few phone calls, yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> He enters in a birthday to do a search engine, and it's not much of a mystery, you know. But um, Martin has been fired as a journalist, and he's trying to get back in, and, and one of the ways that he's trying to do this is by finding a human interest story that someone will pay for, because uh, he's normally thought himself as being above human interest stories. And when he hears about Philomena's story, he initially rejects it, saying, well, human interest stories are for weak people who can't deal with the way that the world really is. And so I think the the movie's implication is that Martin doesn't want to be inspired and only does this for financial reasons, uh, but that being around a human interest story and a human being, uh, not just a spokesperson right. or a press secretary, but an actual human being, sort of helps him become more of a budding humanist. 
that one of Martin's atheism or crotchetiness, and I think the two are actually combined in this movie, is that it's hard to be really interested in God if you're not interested in people and God's creation mm-hmm. or something like that. And I think that becoming involved in another person takes Martin a little bit away from his own sense of injustice of what's happened to him, gives him a set of perspective. And I, and I imagine the film, from a humanistic perspective, or just from a liberal arts perspective, has the same rationale. Why, you know, why do we tell any of these stories or go see any of these stories? It's because engaging in other people's lives hopefully makes us better, more holistic human beings, even if those other people are from different walks of life than what we're used to interacting with. And hopefully as Christians makes us deeper spiritual beings as we understand the world that we live in that God made and other creatures that God made and try to carry out his commandments in our thoughts about them. One of the things I thought was, you know, along those lines, really interesting about the Philomena character, you know, apart from, you know, it would, be, it would have been very easy for this film to set her up as, you know, she's the wrong, the person who has been wrong and have that be her entire, you know, character. Um, but one of the things that we see Philomena doing constantly is, is being interested in other people. Um, whether it's at a restaurant where, you know, she's scolding, Martin for being rude. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, some of the little uncomfortable scenes when they're in America and she's talking to a Latino omelet chef and, and she's asking all of these, what we would, you know, call Do you like burrito? Do you like burrito? All these, you know, sort of stereotypical, you know, borderline racist questions. And yet she's so well-meaningly interested in that chef as a person. And you can tell the chef is not offended. Um, and yet it, it's that sort of engagement with other people that I think keeps her alive. It keeps her alive. I also think it's, it's an important part of the film because I think the film, I was going to say subtly, I don't know how subtly it is, but I think the film definitely draws a connection between that aspect of her personality and her Catholicism, Mm -hmm. and her ability to make the big gesture of forgiveness when the time comes. And I think that a lesser film would only be interested in the big scene where she forgives and then say, oh, isn't it amazing that she was able to do that? I would not be able to do that. Mark says afterwards to one of the nuns, I could never forgive you. Uh, But I think the film doesn't necessarily backtrack, but it leaves that question hanging of, well, why is she able to forgive and you would not be able to? And I think one of the things that's very true about the film, at least in my own experience as a Christian, is that how we respond to little temptations or little injustices pave the way to enable us to do bigger things and I think we sometimes want the world to be in a primary colors type of way of sort of saying, well, we mess up, we mess up, we mess up. But then when the big choice comes along, you know, we pick it, we pick the right thing when it right. really matters. And, um, well, I, but, that old, if you were 
if you're uh, faithful in the small things, you know, you become faithful in the larger right. things. Right, and yeah. the movie believes that how we treat a chef or a waitress or an airline stewardess or an old woman that we meet at the bar may be a little thing, but it's still important. You know, it's yeah. important in its own right. And it's important because of the habits it inculcates in us. And I think that's how it's tied to its Catholicism. I, you know, very much prefer this movie to the other movie that prominently featured Catholic confession this year, Don John, you know, yeah. which presented confession as being rote and habitual and meaningless. And I do think that Martin criticizes Philomena and the sacraments of confession as being rote. And yet we see that a part of the roteness is building up the habits, building up the muscle memories, building up the physical capabilities. Um, this may be overstated somewhat, but when I was in college, I used to play ultimate frisbee. That was my sport. And we had an expression for people who would lollygag during practice or whatever and say, you know, it's only practice or whatever. Practice? And now we, yeah, but we used to say, as you practice, so shall you right. play. You want to believe that you can just mentally turn it on when right. it's the game time. But by that time, you've already acquired these bad habits right. of using one hand to catch it instead of two or whatever, and you do it right in practice so that, you know, you develop those, those habits. Talking about the, the the right of confession does bring up, you know, when we were driving back after seeing the film, one of the things we talked about was the one scene where Philomena, you know, goes into the confessional and sits there for a while. The priest is, you know, she's not saying anything. The priest keeps encouraging her to, you know, what is it you have to confess until finally she just walks out. Right. And, you know, it, it is a striking scene. You know, you have this woman who is very credibly, you know, presented in the film as a very good Catholic in that sort of air quotes way. Um, she's a very faithful person. And, and so this, this break, um, or this, this one time of going in and then just struggling a bit with herself and then walking out does carry a lot of weight. Um, and we talked a bit about that. You know, what, what does it mean that she doesn't confess um, at that point? I think it was right after she had had the confrontation with, well, it was with the nun, wasn't it? Or, no, I think no. they're still in America. No, they're in America. That's they're right. in that, and, and I don't think they've actually gone to meet her son's partner yet. Yeah. Either. I, one of the ways that I've thought about it, interpreting it, is that they're on their way to see the son's partner, and she's got misgivings about that, mm -hmm. and feeling like a guilty conscience. So she says, I want to stop to confess, because I think they're trying to build suspense, and about her character, having her question mm -hmm. a little bit why she's doing things. I confess it's the one scene in the movie that didn't work for me yeah. because it was opaque and to the extent that I interpret it, it doesn't, you know, it seems to me to be more manufactured. Now, maybe it really happened. I don't know. But it seems there to set up a 
you know, a conversation which Mark says, what do you need to confess? The Catholic Church needs to, right. you know, the Catholic Church needs to confess. I, I also should say about that scene, be immediately before she goes in, Martin says to her that, um, the, you know, Catholic Church is the one that needs to confess. And while you're in there, why don't you ask God why there's earthquakes and why innocent people die and why your baby got taken away? And I'll bet they'll say that you're, you know, that everything happens for a reason. And then Philomena just looks at him and says, I think I'd say that you're a fucking idiot, yeah. you know. And and I just bring that up because in the screening where we were at, it was that line that got the biggest laugh, yes. you know, not any of Martin's barbs against the Catholic Church, which to me very much come across as barbs, yeah. you know, knowing barbs and not legitimate, you know, not legitimate. I would say, yeah, the group we were with very much. You know, Philomena was everybody's hero. Right. And, 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 and rightfully so. I mean, yeah. I think the film, you know, portrays, uh, him as, he, he doesn't convert to Catholicism, but I think he is forced to confront the fact that an individual Catholic doesn't conform to his stereotypes of what Catholicism right. is. And I think that's, what the confession scene is is trying to get at is that most Protestants have this notion of the confessional scene as being guilt-driven or the confessional sacrament as being guilt-driven, as being rote, as being automatic, as just say the words and I get the penance. And what happens is, is that you get Philomena actually consciously struggling with what does this mean? I've said these words many times before. But they are an occasion for me to reflect on what are my sins? What right. do I want forgiveness with? You know, in a way that the sacrament can be very, I'm not a Catholic, but, you know, the sacrament can be very meaningful. powerful or, or, or meaningful. And so I think that in some ways, though, I would have liked the film to have, I think the film had done a good enough job of presenting that in other ways without having to bring it into the confessional because it seemed to me to be a little bit out of char character for her and manufacturing, maybe trying to manufacture suspense about sure. like, oh, is she on, you know, is she on the edge in a way that I don't know that she ever really was. I, I wanted to add one other thing too. It, I was thinking when you had said that she's a good Catholic, I think the film plays on that a lot. Yes, too. it does. Very often, when we hear the term good Catholic, what we mentally mean by that is an obedient Catholic. And I think Philomena is a good Catholic in the sense of she sincerely follows the teachings of the Catholic Church, tries to implement them in their lives. She is perhaps accused by Martin of being a good Catholic in the stereotypical mm -hmm. sense of, if the Pope says it, I believe it, and and. I don't ever really struggle with that. But at the very end, when she's confronted with, you know, the institution or the wrong, she does what a good Catholic should do. She forgives. But she says, that was incredibly hard. I did it because I'm a good Catholic and I know what I'm supposed to do. And the reason I know what I'm supposed to do is because the church has taught me that and they're not wrong. Yeah, it, it that, that powerful scene of, of forgiveness is one that, 
I, I call it kind of the money shot of the thing. I mean, it, it, it's that line that the, in some sense the entire film is building up to this confrontation. And, you know, we see her through, and, you know, Judy Dench's performance there is, you know, Judy Dench is usually wonderful. Yes. And in this particular scene, you, you, you can see the struggle. You know, that this, these words that she is saying, it, it's not, it's not easy for her to say, and it's not easy for her to say because she means them. Mm-hmm. These are not just rote, you know, recitations that, that she's saying because she knows I, I'm supposed to say. She means it, and that makes it hard. And I think you know, Dench's performance really communicates the depth of that. And is that sort of yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that distinction between good in the sense of just mindlessly obedient and good in terms of no, this is this is the teachings of Christ and carrying them, you know, taking up your cross daily is hard. Well, and, and she does it, and you know, and she knows that it's the right thing to do, and she's going to work it out. It's not going to be an easy thing. Right. I mean, th- that phrase a good Catholic can be used in a very patronizing way. Right. And I think like, Martin, you know, oh, you're a good boy, boy yeah. you're a good, yeah. And I think that's the way that Martin would use it, yes. or a lot of us, you know, tend to slip into using it. And, and I'm very defensive about Catholic Church in this movie, but not not without some cause. I mean, stereotypes have their foundation mm-hmm. in whatever. And I, th- I think about the scene at the end of um, Alex Gibney's documentary about, you know, the abuses of clergy. But there's a scene in which uh, one of the deaf boys goes back to confront the priest that has molested him, and the housekeep, the priest's housekeeper, keeps saying to the boy, "You know, you know, this is a priest. Aren't you a good Catholic? Why are you doing this? Aren't you a good Catholic?" Right. And and I think we we're, we've been exposed to so much more of that good Catholic being used in a very cynical way that. I, I felt myself rebelling at, at the, the, you know, calling her a good Catholic. Right. And when I think through why, it, it's because that term has become almost, has become almost an ironic or cynical, you know, backhanded slap in our designation. Instead sure. of, I think she's very much a good kid, yeah. Catholic, but good in a moral sense, not in that, that pejorative, paternalistic sense. Sure. Want to go back, um, ago you had made the comment that one of the things that Martin is struggling with is that he's face to face with a real person. Yes. Um, and certainly one of the things that I have found myself thinking about a lot you know, since seeing the film has been what I think one of the things that the film does is really show us a bit of the conflict. I don't think conflict's not the right word. There's the faith you know, there's the Christian faith, there's the institution of the church, and there's individual believers. And I think one of the difficulties that Martin has is being able to deal with individuals. At the end, and in scene, he's looking at a nun and says, I could never forgive you. And the nun he's talking to is not the one who wronged Philomena. In fact, the nun he's talking to is, you know, young enough that she would have even been born. Right, when these things took place. Um, and you know, he's, he's not addressing that individual person. He's addressing the institution, 
Whereas in Philomena's case, you know, she's, and this goes back to her, you know, her paying attention to people as human beings. She's forgiving an individual. And, you know, it's not even her, I mean, the film itself is making this interesting distinction. Because certainly when we see the, the flashback scenes of Philomena's past, the, the nuns are not uniformly nasty. No. Um, in fact, yeah, the, the only photograph that Philomena has of her child was taken by a nun who basically broke the rules, snuck a camera in, took a picture, got it developed and gave it to her. Um, it's always in front. The, their interaction was always very kind. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Philomena herself is constantly defending the nuns and saying, hey, you know, they were doing certain things, you know, it, it, it's not this monolithic picture mm-hmm. um, of the people who wronged her. It's, there were people who wronged her. Right. Um, and I think it's an important point the film makes, and in terms of thinking, we opened up this conversation about, you know, why I tell the story. Part of this is, I think, building, you know, helps us empathize, but part of empathy is being able to then identify an individual person going through a struggle. It really is that, that focus on the individual. And I think, you know, that's one of the strengths of the film is kind of separating out these threads in terms of the faith. And certainly the, the institutional church, the Roman Catholic Church, helps Philomena build her faith, but her faith is not, I think, totally. It's not the faith is not in the church. Does that make sense? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree the faith is not in the church. But. I think that the, there are things that she has learned from the church that have developed her faith to yes. the point where she's able to deal with individuals. I'm glad that you brought up the uh, nun in her memory who was kind to her, because I think that's also evident when we get the flashback that in her memory, she doesn't think in terms of forgiving the church because the church is not monolithic for her. her. You know, her experience with the church was a mixed one, more negative than positive for that period of her life. Right. There have been other times since then. Where yeah, and we don't really get any information in the movie about the middle right. what came in between. Right. And, and But I think that in, in that sense is good. Um, I also think the flashback scene is, is helpful from an individual faith perspective. Going back to this notion of saying of waiting until the big moment before you actually make a decision rather than building habits. Uh, it's hard to forgive when you're bitter. And one of the ways that she has maybe managed to sidestep a lion's share of the bitterness is by being fair or striving to be as fair as possible, even in her memory or even in her, even in her thoughts. Whereas, mm-hmm. Martin, who apparently, if we go by the film's version, was treated unfairly, not as unfairly her, in the way that he is fired, you know, sort of nurses these, this, this grievance against the right. uh, whole industry and everything that happened, and, and has to learn that institutions, not just the church, but institutions like the media or politics, politics are made up of people and just because some of them treated him badly doesn't mean that you know he doesn't stop being 
whatever party he's at in, in, in England or Ireland, you know, socialist or libertarian or whatever, when the government treats him badly and yet he, you know, can't make that distinction between individual and institution for Philomena's own story. Right. Um, now, I do think they rub off on each other a little bit. One of the scenes that I thought was, was somewhat interesting in that regard was when they're on the airplane getting ready to fly over and they're in coach and Martin's not used to being coached and he's seen by one of his former colleagues who comes back from first class and you know talks to him a little bit asks him what he's doing and Martin's embarrassed that doesn't want Philomena to reveal it because oh gosh I'm slumming telling her whatever uh, human interest story uh, and Philomena asks him about it after the guy leaves it says just because someone's in first class doesn't make him a first class person. And at that point, Martin says, he's all right. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's a baby step for Martin, but I think that that's perhaps foreshadowing the end with the, the relationship between the church that he's starting through her to make distinctions between these sort of broad institutional brushes that he's, you know, that he's used to seeing the church with or everything with or filter everything through and at least trying to carve out a space where he can say about that particular coworker, he's not the one that wronged me. Right. And that seems to me to be a small step, but an inevitable step toward, okay, and that's not the nun that, you know, that's not the nun that wronged me. And even if that is the nun that wronged me, she's not the sum total of the Catholic Church right? any more than this guy is the sum total of the media. So, is there anything else that we need to say before we bring things to a close? You had struck me in your conversation after the film and in pre-production of... Being a little bit hesitant or unsure about what you thought about the film, either willing to embrace the film or endorse the film. And I, I'm wondering if I'm projecting or if I'm, you know, or. I, I would, I, well, I don't know if you're projecting. Um, but I mean, I would say I, I found the film to be, um, yeah, that was incredibly well done. Um, I, I thought the writing, you know, was very smart. The acting is great. Judy Dench is Judy Dench. And although one thing that I was really impressed with is that in as, you know, I've seen other Judy Dench performances where her Judy Denchness can overwhelm the, the film. Denchness or Denchosity? Either one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in, in this film, I, I found myself very much able to just lose myself in the film and not be thinking, oh wow, that's Judy Dench. I think a lot of credit for that goes to Steve Coogan, both as a screenplay writer mm -hmm. and that she doesn't have to carry the film. Right. She doesn't have to carry it. I'm watching Philomena. I'm not watching Judy Dench right. uh, in a role. So that, you know, I was really impressed. And I, I think it's one of those films that it's had me thinking for three days. Okay. And, and I like that. I mean, that, that, and it has me thinking because it raises good questions in its storytelling. Um, it's not raising questions because it's failing at places. Right. And I, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's a tough subject. 
Magdalene laundries of in the higher of the middle century. Um, it's another one of those things where you know, the church has some difficult history, and you know, dealing with it is not easy. But I think, you know, I don't think it, it's going to damage the church or the faith to tell these stories. It's a particularly tough subject for us to talk about. Well, at least for me, as Protestants. Because yes. there are so many landmines in how, you know, a productive discussion about, you know, what we can learn about that in terms of our own relationship to the church, whether we're talking about the body of Christ and all other believers or whatever institution, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, that we're, in, you know, that we're involved with. Right. And not have it, on, on the one hand, not have it uh, any conversation degenerate into a critique of Catholicism and how Protestantism is better because Catholicism has produced these scandals like Catholicism, like Protestantism hasn't, or somehow not being willing to extract lessons from that about how we deal with faith in an institutional way, in a, in, in a communal way. Mm-hmm. Watching the film got me thinking about ways in which I have responded to situations where I was wounded by someone in the church. And, you know, not, not at all to the level of Philomena has been wounded, but still to some degree. And that, you know, I, I thought it was, I hate to use this term, but valuable, right? Um, I don't know if I was projecting. I mean, I, when I did my top, 10 for 2013. I had 12 films. Philomena was one of the two along with Frozen that eventually fell off. And so I guess in some ways that was an intuitive choice. But I've always been thinking ever since the end of the year, okay, well, well what was it about it that made it not quite, you know, not quite sure. hit the bar of the other? Obviously, I like the film. There was something to me that I felt the film was a little too opaque about communicating the extent to which Philomena was aware, self-aware, and particularly self-aware of the ways in which she is using, you might use the word manipulating Martin, for someone to have that level of self-scrutiny going through the confessional and self-awareness about what's going on to do the forgiveness. It sort of presents the, her plot as being providential that Martin just had to be there. And I think there are places in which the story suggests to me that Philomena used Martin in a way to get something that she wanted, which was this information that people would give her because she was a good Catholic, right. you know, and that she couldn't, to do things that she couldn't do, to break down some doors, to be rude, to be a little bit ornery. And there is a certain sense in which he was doing exactly what she needed him to do, but preserved for her a kind of deniability in which she could say, oh, that's horrible, don't blame them, and preserve her, her own self-identity as a good Catholic. And I think Martin, at the end, bends to her a little bit by buying the Catholic tchotchke and saying, you know, okay, I don't believe this, but I respect your religion. 
And I guess what one of the things that I really wanted to make it complete, although I mean, I still gave it a five star review, but it, you know, that I wanted to make it complete was some kind of acknowledgement from her of I wouldn't have been a, I wouldn't have gotten this without you in a broad spiritual sense. I can talk about it if things were meant to be or if God was meant to be. But even if it was God's doing, you were the instrument that God used. And the reason why I wouldn't have been able to get it without you is intimately tied up with your non-Catholicism, you know, with, with your non-religiousness, with your willingness to not take no for an answer. And and I don't know if she ever acknowledges that. I don't know if the film then is saying she's not aware of that, in which case her, her character is a little opaque, or whether the film is saying she is aware of that, but she can't say it because it's more important to well, I think, I mean, preserve this mask of not ingenuousness. I wanted her to deal with him at least once, one human being to another human being on his terms, rather than on her terms. And the important, the most important point there seen for me in the movie comes um, with the fact that he is there at the point where she finds out that her son is dead. Right. And at that moment, he doesn't respond to her as a Catholic or as a story. It's one human being to another. He, yeah. All of the arguments or whatever fade away, and she is in grief, and he comforts her, you know. And he's able to say, time out, you know. I, I'm just going to deal with you as one human being to another human being. And I wanted some sort of reciprocal gesture from her. I don't know what it would have been or if that would have been true to the story that sort of says, I'm going to relate to you on a, one human being to another in the way that I say thank you or in the, you know, in yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the way that I interact with you. I'm trying to think what that would look like, and I'm not sure. Yeah. And, um, for him, it can look like buying this Catholic knickknack or something like that. So for her, it might be structurally part of the problem here is that he's the one entering her world. And so... You know, she's never really entering his world. Right. Uh, I mean, there, there are, there are points when there is some impinging, you know, you know he's got to deal with his editor or something, and she seems to know that that conversation is going on in various places. Um, but because he's mainly the person who's stepping into her life rather than her stepping into his life, I think that it makes it in some sense easier for him to have some of those gestures of, Oh, now I understand what makes you tick. Here's a gesture. That's true. I don't know what it would look like, but it, it, it still is part of the, the, this nagging one part of the film that I found yeah. unsatisfying. Because then, you know, is it just one more story about how the burden is on the atheist or the agnostic to enter into our world, and it's never on us as Christians? to enter into their world and engage their world. And it seems to me that, you know, the Great Commission is <laughs> going forth into the world and right. not, you know, insist that everyone... Well, and then uh, ironically then... But she's not a missionary. I mean, she's not no. an evangelist. So that's, you know, probably not fair of me to use the Great Commission in, in that regard. But it just speaks towards this this limited form of engagement or... Um, Steve Coogan had said for him that screenplay is about no one having 
the monopoly on human wisdom. And I think part, he said that in defense of his character learns from Philomena. But for that to be true, I wanted to see an acknowledgement that, okay, just because I'm Christian or Catholic and I believe this thing and I believe I'm right, doesn't mean that I have a monopoly on human kindness. Doesn't mean right. I have a monopoly on virtue or compassion or love or some of these other things. And that, you know, you were able to love me even though you didn't believe with me. And, and I think that's, that's important. And that, that's important as Christians that we need to be able to acknowledge that because there's so many strains of fundamentalism that say, if a person is not of the faith, they can do no good whatsoever. So, but I, you're right. I have no idea what that would look like. And <laughs> I mean, you said you gave it a five star review. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's in your top 12. And I think that, you know, particularly for Christians, you know, Christian viewers, you know, Christian viewers love to complain about how faith is not represented or taken seriously in, in Hollywood. And so when, you know, Hollywood or, you know, the Weinstein brothers, you know, uh, BBC, I guess, not really Hollywood, BBC production, uh, make these films about people of faith that treat faith seriously. Mm-hmm. I, you know, then maybe I, like Philomena, want to acknowledge, you know, want to acknowledge that and say, we love to have our little stereotype about how hobby horses, about how Hollywood stereotypes us and the movie stereotypes us and never takes it seriously. And there are people that are not just Christian films, but that deal with faith and faith issues thoughtfully, respectfully, and that, you know, reveal truth and show Christianity in good life. You know? and, yeah, and I would totally agree. This is one of them. Well, all right. Um, thank you for listening to The Thin Place. If you have comments on this episode, please visit our website at www.filmgeekradio.com to leave a comment, or you can email us at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Morfield, or at his blog, the number one morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!